produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Hi, Edge of Fame fans. Jeff Edgers here. I wanted to share this special bonus episode of Edge of Fame. I hosted a live event at Laugh Boston recently where we talked R. Kelly, Me Too, and the music industry. If you haven't heard it yet and you want to get the full picture, go back and listen to the Edge of Fame episode on R. Kelly. It's right behind this one in your feed. Otherwise, enjoy this conversation. I was joined on stage by three amazing guests. Jim DeRogatis is a longtime music journalist and critic. He's a co-host of Sound Opinions at WBZ in Chicago. He's been covering allegations against R. Kelly for almost two decades, first at the Chicago Sun-Times, now at BuzzFeed. Renee Graham is an associate editor and columnist at the Boston Globe. And Kenyette Barnes, the co-founder of Mute R. Kelly, a campaign protesting R. Kelly's alleged abuse of women. I started the conversation by asking DeRogatis how he came to cover the sexual misconduct complaints against R. Kelly. He said it all started in 2000 after he reviewed Kelly's album titled TP2.com. I reviewed TP2.com on the Tuesday it came out, when there were Tuesday release dates. And I got a fax, a one-page, single-spaced, very detailed fax signed a friend. And uh, the fax said, today in the newspaper you compared Kelly to Marvin Gaye. And Marvin had his problems, but they are nothing like Robert's. Robert's problem is young girls. He needs to be stopped. He needs to get help. He needs... To, uh, to stop this behavior, and I've tried, I've walked away. He's been investigated twice by the Chicago Sex Crimes Unit of the Police Department. Uh, there was a lawsuit filed that got no publicity because his managers kept it quiet, and there's an ongoing relationship now with a 14-year-old he calls his goddaughter. Um, every single thing in that fax, after six weeks of reporting with me and the legal affairs reporter, turned out to be true. We did not report the relationship with the goddaughter uh, because her parents denied it. Uh, A year and a half after that story, I got a 26-minute, 39-second videotape at home in my mailbox. And I popped Toy Story 2 out of my five-year-old daughter's VCR, and I watched that tape. Uh, It was a horrifying document. That's the goddaughter. It eventually led to his indictment on 21 counts of making child pornography. It took six years to go to trial, uh, breaking all records in Cook County, and he was acquitted by a jury of his peers because the mother, the father, and the girl never testified, but a dozen witnesses did. Other family members, her pastor, her basketball coach. Uh, It's rape culture 101. We have no victim, therefore we acquit. Uh, that's what the jurors essentially said. And I, you know, what's interesting is I read all your coverage, and um, over the time of that uh, that case, uh, there were his defense said that it was like they took the head off of him and put it on another body. It was, and, an, I, and, and, and then they said that there was a mole that was on his. It was his, an absurd. Right? They said first they said it wasn't him. Then they said it was him, but the girl wasn't the girl. Then they said the girl is the girl, but you have her age all wrong. Then they said it was a fake and that business about the mole. Then they said I had committed a crime by making a copy of the videotape. Therefore, I copied child pornography. This was at the same time they were saying the tape was not child pornography. I had to take 
the Fifth Amendment to avoid damaging the principle of reporter's privilege and to stay out of jail. You were making a larger point by not uh, answering those questions in court, but you obviously are, you know, for, for a long time you've been very passionate about speaking openly about how you feel about Kelly. Yeah. Is there a part of you that regrets not saying, not answering those questions at the time? I sat down with the attorney who read every word the Sun-Times ran for, for the entirety of my time at the paper uh, last week. And I said that to Damon. I said, I'm haunted by Kelly's defense attorney when I got off the stand saying, thank you, you did exactly what we wanted you to do. And he said, Jim, you're forgetting that in records that remain sealed to the public, Judge Vincent Gawne methodically had disallowed any evidence except the tape. So even if you'd gone up there and sung like a canary for five hours, all of that would have been thrown out. You could have done no good. I've tried to do good with my job, and I feel horrible that we are here tonight in a comfortable club talking about this on Facebook Live with colleagues I re respect enormously, and right now, three women are in jeopardy right now. And police in Florida, in, in, in Georgia, in Chicago, the FBI are doing nothing. They have spent hours interviewing the parents you talk to and all the parents I talk to, and nobody's doing anything as far as I can tell since my story in July. That is, you know, Matt Lauer allegedly had the button under his desk where he could lock women in his office. Imagine you're walking past the office at NBC and you hear a woman screaming and you keep walking. That's what the world is doing to these alleged victims of Robert Sylvester Kelly. So, um, Kenyette, uh, you're obviously uh, somebody who's passionate about a whole range of issues and as an activist, what made you decide to focus in on, uh, on R. Kelly? So I've always, as long as I can remember, have spoken out publicly against R. Kelly, like back in the 90s, I'm dating myself, but I recall the Aaliyah marriage to me was like the first sort of a aha moment. Something's not right here. And then fast forward to last summer when the story broke with BuzzFeed. And I recall when I read the story, and this is before Jim and I ever met, I said, this is disgusting. This is, it, it just really, I remember waking up at like 2 a.m. and I just couldn't let it go. It was just so, and I read the story over and over and over again. And then several days later, he had announced his concert coming to Atlanta. And that's where I think the combination of the story his history, my personal disdain, and then this upcoming concert was, wait a minute, I gotta do something. And that's really how Mutar Kelly was born. It really started very organically in Atlanta, and our purpose was simply to just cancel the Atlanta concert and to compel the radio stations to not play the music. And then as we started doing that, other concerts around the country started getting canceled. And it was like, wait a minute. We thought that this was just Atlanta, but the buzz around the campaign really started to go to Baton Rouge and New Orleans and Dallas and Memphis. And before you know it, all these cities started canceling concerts, even before Atlanta's concert. And then after Atlanta's concert, then there was Detroit and they had the first protests outside of uh, Atlanta. And so far, we've had 10 concerts canceled, 
Yeah, you guys can applaud. <laughs> Ten concerts canceled, seven active protests in six cities, and an estimated $1.2 million in lost revenue from the canceled concerts in 10 months. It's real. I'll tell you, it's interesting because I went to Detroit to a concert that wasn't canceled, and you don't realize how uh, it, it's not an easy thing to protest a concert like this because uh, there were maybe 30, 30 people out there, and there were thousands of people there going to the show, and they were not happy with those protesters, and they were very quite aggressive and uh, dismissive, and you know, kind of attacking them uh, while this was going on. And I, I'm interested, and and this gets me to Renee. I'm just going to read something you wrote, because you, you mentioned, we, we all seem to, this Aaliyah thing is, there's something about it, I don't know, you know, it's like, it's maybe it's time, maybe it's knowing who, who, who she was, and just realizing how, you know, when we go through the question of why hasn't something happened, we ask all sorts of questions. We ask about race, we ask about um, what if it had been a famous movie star, you know, we ask, but, you know, you wrote um, about Aaliyah, um, you know, why didn't this, why didn't this change things? Well, it, it didn't, and, and, it, and it's still, I'm sorry, I'm changing your tenses, because I, I have to, like, I didn't have the earlier Go part. Go ahead, edit me, it's but, fine. But you're a, Weinstein, Weinstein, you know, Harvey Weinstein, is a pariah because many of his accusers are famous white women. Kelly's alleged victims are discredited by their blackness. In a nation uh, primed to doubt women who accuse men of sexual misconduct, women of color aren't even considered worthy of the time it takes to doubt them. Instead, they are ignored. So you wrote that uh, just recently. Yeah, just a and, few weeks ago. Yeah, and I'd, lo I'd love to hear what, why you think this is going on and why nothing's really, some's changed, but why not a whole lot has changed. Well, you know, when, when R. Kelly married Ali in 1994, as, as Jeff mentioned, he was 27, she was 15. And at the time, I remember, you know, thinking about the story I'd heard about um, the sort of rock and roll pioneer Jerry Lee Lewis who, when he was well into his 20s, married his 13-year-old cousin. And that was pretty much the end of his career. He continued to perform, but he never reached those heights again. And somehow, R. Kelly managed to, pull, to do this and keep it under wraps for a long time. It didn't really break for quite, you know, quite some time. And it never affected his career, and he just kind of kept going and going and going. You know? And then it, was, it, it, sounded, it seemed like there was nothing until Jim started writing those stories for the Sun-Times about R. Kelly. I remember thinking, well, this is it. He's through. Except he wasn't. And these stories were incredibly detailed, and somehow it felt like nobody cared. It just felt like people read the stories and went, wow, that's sad. And, and he kept making hits and kept selling records and kept winning awards. And what really got to me at a certain point was, it wasn't just that people ignored it, it became a punchline. Dave Chappelle made jokes about the video. Uh, Chris Rock made jokes about, you know, at, when he was hosting the MTV Awards of not seating R. Kelly next to the Olsen twins. And everybody thought that was hilarious. And I thought, when did pedophilia become funny? And somehow he was getting away with it. And all I could think was, it must be the victims. Because why would nobody care that girls are being abused or held against their will. And so it, it, it has been remarkable to me. You know, I mean, look, R. Kelly to me feels like the luckiest black man in America. He can't get arrested anymore. He can't get, you know, he can get acquitted when you've got tapes. And it just, it's, it is just galling to me that at this moment, 
it's starting to happen. It's just starting to happen, but there's still so many defenders of R. Kelly out there. And a lot of them are black women who defend R. Kelly. I was at a birthday party a few weeks ago and you know, with very you know, astute and intelligent women, and suddenly they put on Step in the Name of Love. And everybody started dancing. And I was running around going, how are you dancing to this? I became like the worst guest ever. I'm like, you shouldn't be dancing. This is, this is appalling. Are we just dancing to pedophiles now? And nobody seemed bothered. Like, they're bothered by what R. Kelly does, but there's still the sense that, yeah, but I, I really like this song. That's my jam. I don't really care if that's your jam. He is endangering women and has been doing this for decades. And you know, something I said to Jim earlier is that the big difference between R. Kelly and Harvey Weinstein is when the stories about Harvey Weinstein broke, the public, for the most part, had no idea this was going on. With R. Kelly, we've known at least since 1994. And for the most part, nothing has happened to him. And, it ha and all I can you know, chalk that up to is the fact that if you don't care about what R. Kelly's doing, it means you, it's because you don't care about who his victims are. What did, uh, what did you make, uh, and anybody can answer this, but I, I'd be curious of what you made of the um, Time's Up uh, women of color coming out and demanding that Sony uh, drop him, that Spotify and other services stop. Uh, um, uh, I don't even know how to describe what Spotify did. I was trying to explain it to somebody the other day. They're like, oh, he is no longer featured on playlist, but I'll then they went back on that. They're like, that's too yeah, harsh. I'll take um, that. I'll take that one. So yeah, tell me what you felt when you, what, right. I mean, when I saw that go out, I said, ooh, now Hollywood is listening, but. Right. Okay, so a couple of things. One, um, Time's Up coming on board and supporting Mutar Kelly was a major step for us. However, the original campaign to persuade the streaming services really came from the Thumbs Up, Thumb It Down program in Mutar Kelly. So we had already started that campaign and Time's Up came on board and actually helped to amplify us just for historical context. But I thought it was great. What's the upside if you're Sony and RCA to not saying, hey, we dropped this guy? I mean, they, they dropped, uh, we've seen in recent days how quickly Roseanne was dropped by ABC, uh, and she's making them a lot of money. What is the upside, or have you, have you been able to dig at that or find any answer when you talk There's to none. your inside There's sources? There's none. The only conceivable reason is that they're afraid he'll sue them. But how could they do that? For what? Defaming him? Defaming a man who's been tried for child pornography uh, and had 30 years of... I, I, I cannot understand. As someone who loves music to the core of my being, and this is where I'll wax philosophical professor. All right? My life was saved by rock and roll, as the Velvet Underground said. I'm not a racist cop in Jersey City like all the kids I went to high school with because I discovered this music. All right? And I am wrestling philosophically with... Is there a flip side to that? If this art can save your life, can it also corrupt better than any other force because of its power? Are we getting off on R. Kelly precisely because we know what he has done? And I am thinking of him being booked to headline Bonnaroo, 100,000 stoned hippies Fish fans, right? I am thinking of him being booked to headline Pitchfork, 30,000 craft beer drinking bearded hipster graduate students. They knew, they knew what he had done and they didn't care. They accepted it as super sexualized shtick. 
are trapped in the closet, which is seen as yes. a, almost a comedy, right? Brought to you by the Independent Film Channel. And he was, that, that Christmas album tanked, but he was on The Tonight Show being hugged by Jimmy, what's his name? Right. Questlove was there, and Questlove wouldn't look at him. I mean, Lady Gaga did that uh, horrendous duet with him. Do what you want with my body. Do what you want with my body. She's a sexual assault victim, and she appeared exactly. on the American Music Awards with him, pretending to be Monica Lewinsky, fellating him as Clinton yeah. at the desk of, of the her. Oval Office. He was sort of humping her like a wire-haired terrier. And she has not and publicly commented, as far as I know. You think so, Renee, what's, what, you know, um, looking at music history, I mean... Um, you know, Jimmy Page was, uh, I mean, you hear this stuff, like, uh, because it's true, you know, he dated a 14-year-old, who we Jimmy know her Page. name, right? Um, uh, Steven Tyler, um, let's just go down the list. personal friend of President Trump, uh, Ted Nugent. Ted um, Nugent, right. Yeah, he had... You know, uh, was David he? Bowie, sorry right. folks, David Bowie. Uh, it, this isn't uncommon in, in the music industry. Um, I just wanted to say one thing, just bouncing off something that Jim said. I am not a racist cop from New Jersey either. But I am prejudiced against men who prey on women and underage girls. Lock him the hell up. I, I, it's, I can't even tell you, like even sitting here and having this conversation in 2018 is an absolute affront. It should be affront to all, an affront to all of us. Because as Jim said, this isn't something that happened 30 years ago. It's happening right now and nothing's being done. This is what's being done. But legally, we're still waiting. I'm sorry, Jeff, what was your question? Well, <laughs> I, I guess you've heard that, you know, when I spoke to uh, one of the guys who used to work at, Inter at, at um, Jive Records, R. Kelly's label, he immediately he get, gets, you know, he's a, a respected veteran of the music industry who's received awards, and he immediately went into the Jerry Lee Lewis, Chuck Berry, Steven Tyler, but, you know, this idea of this precedent for these artists behaving in ways that are unacceptable, and we haven't kicked them out of, off the radio or out of the business. I mean, is that really an answer? Well, we didn't do it to them, so we can't do it to R. Kelly? You know, the question isn't, you know, it should have been done to them. And some people's careers suffered, but a lot of cases they didn't. You know, men don't generally get kicked out of the music industry for mistreating women. I get this question about 100 times on my social media every day, to the point that I've, like, disabled my notifications because I'm, like, being spammed and harassed and threatened. Here's the deal. Yes, there have always been cases of age gaps in relationships. There have always been cases of people who dated or met someone when they were under the age of 18. But how many of these men videotaped themselves urinating on a 13-year-old child? How many of them have countless non-disclosure agreements of girls under the age of 16? How many of them have this perennial, consistent, every other year, this type of behavior like R. Kelly does. And we often ask, well, what about that person? And what about this person? My question is, well, damn it, you do it. If you're so concerned about all these people, you do it. You start the campaign, and I will share your hashtag. You want to mute somebody? Mute whoever. I will share your hashtag. Do you want to do a protest at Chris Brown's concert? Mute Chris Brown. Damn it, I will show up with a sign and, some, some, and, and, and a bullhorn. But they're not going to. So when I hear that kind of stuff, it's only deflection. 
Because what they don't want is for you to make them realize their cognitive dissonance about the guy who makes them sing and dance. Or their complicity. That was what I was about to say. Or their complicity. Because what I hear is, am I next? And just, just to throw it out there, does everyone remember the story of Natalie Holloway? Yeah. Exactly. Why do you know about Natalie Holloway? Because her face and name were on the news every single night for months on end. This is not to underplay what happened to her. And for those who don't know, she was a, a college student who went away to Aruba and disappeared and was likely you know, murdered. But every single night, she was on the news. Her mother was on the news. It was covered on CNN and HLN and MSNBC and Fox for months. Do you recognize any of those names? Not one. Well, what's been interesting in the last few weeks, as you've seen, we've had countless stories with many of the same people going on different outlets, whether it's talking to the Washington Post or BuzzFeed or BBC or... Megyn Kelly, right? We've seen, and it doesn't seem to be making any difference, does it? Right? Well, no, because no one believes them. I mean, I guess we really have to have that conversation. You mentioned Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway is the perfect victim. She's a sweet little girl who's pretty to look at. You can relate to her, and oh my God, this horrible thing allegedly happened to her. With these, what I usually hear is, well, these girls are fast anyway. They, they always like older men. Or these girls are over 18. They know that they want to be there. Or, well, they're just money hungry, and they, they only want to sue him for money. And the problem that I have, and one of the things that sort of drives this train with the Mute R. Kelly campaign is we want to keep the face and the voice of black girls in the public discourse because that's part of the problem. His victims are people we don't care about. We, I mean, we mentioned, you know, the, the Chris Rock, you know, skit about... about I, the Olsen twins. The, oh, yeah. oh, God. I mean, and it's like, we joke about it. We know it's happening, but we joke about it. And we have to, at some point, make these girls real. We have to make their abuse real. And this is part of what we're trying to do here and what I think is the reason why this has been going on for 30 years because, quite honestly, nobody cares. I mean, just to use, use an example, and I, I thought about this on my way over, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, again, you might remember, was a serial killer. His victims primarily were young gay men of color. So you had 17 of, them, of these people who disappeared and nobody seemed to notice. How do 17 people disappear in a community and nobody cares? Because they were young, gay men of color. You know? So if you have the right victim, you can do what you do in plain sight, and no one's going to stop you, and no one's going to care. And that's what's been happening with R. Kelly. You've got parents, you've got victims, and they are making their stories known, and there's still this sense that they're not getting any traction. Jim's been writing about this for 18 years. No traction whatsoever. And that's wrong. It's not because he doesn't have the goods. He's got the goods. It's just people don't seem to care. Renee, did you, I mean, sometimes we overplay what, um, our, you know, what it means when our Twitter feeds are referencing or retweeting certain things. But did you, I mean, I followed closely after that Time's Up statement went out. I thought it was interesting that many of the famous folks who, um, uh, have been advocating, you know, against Weinstein and 
uh, and Matt Lauer did not seem to follow up. I don't know, I didn't see, maybe I'm wrong and I'll be corrected, uh, but I didn't see like Mira Sorvino or like Rose McGowan or, or people. Mira Sorvino followed me. <laughs> well, Jim, but I'll, I'll tell there's you. a difference between her <laughs> no. following you and her saying, yeah, what's gone on with R. Kelly Buzzfeed. is outrageous, it needs to stop. And Buzz, BuzzFeed is capable of snark. BuzzFeed called 42 of the platinum-selling artists who have collaborated with Kelly, from Celine Dion to Lady Gaga and from Justin Bieber to, to Jay-Z, and none of them, not one out of 42, commented. Jay-Z to this day, you know, and how Solange lets him get away with it, I know Beyonce, <laughs> Beyonce I don't know. Well, Jay-Z say... still hasn't commented. Right. That tour, they made two albums together, and they did a tour together, and, and you know, so until those people begin to speak to the music world, I don't, you know, I don't think if Mira Sorvino said anything, it would matter about R. Kelly in the music world. If Jay comes out, if Hova comes out and says, from on high, I was wrong to collaborate with this man, and he is hurting people like my wife, Beyonce, and like my sister-in-law, you know, Solange, he's got to be stopped. That would do something. You know, back in the day when our first story ran, Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre criticized Kelly. Dr. Dre's a man who threw a female journalist down a flight of stairs and wrote songs that I can't say because Ken Yet's kids well, are Well, we saw you know, that, you know, we saw but, that, you know. We saw when, um, you know, Vince Staples said something about Kelly. Yeah, that, and Vic that, Mensa in Chicago, but Chance the Rapper worked with him and Chance is raising money for CPS in Chicago. Community schools, he has not bad-mouthed R. Kelly. I just feel like these things gather steam by having crossing genres and disciplines yeah. more than only being part of a music world. They have yeah. to resonate but beyond that. But it's not. That. It's not you doing people, that. You Your had point people is... like you know, um, uh, John Legend coming out and supporting Time's Up and supporting Mute R. Kelly. There were people, but you didn't have the kind of amplification that you had you know, in the fall with you know, Mira Sorvino and all these actresses you mentioned. And that was too bad. And I, and I thought, do they not see this as part of the same movement? Because it is. No, they don't. Stick with us, we're going to a break. After the break, we'll take some audience questions. After the onstage conversation, we took questions from the audience. Here's some of that conversation. Hi, thanks for doing this and keeping this fight because obviously people are not listening and I think it is a really important story that you're sharing. So you have this audience here, you have people on Facebook Live, you have the podcast that's coming out. What are you hoping that we would take as a next step? I mean, we can share this and you know share the podcast, but it takes a lot of time for people to listen to it. They might say, oh, I'm not a fan of R. Kelly or, oh, I've heard that story before. What could be our next steps? You're the activist. I I, I figured that was a Kenya question. Well, um, shameless plug, uh, you can uh, share the hashtag MuteRKelly. Part of our our work with this campaign is uh, trifold. One, definitely public awareness. Um, That is the one thing that has really put a lot of pressure on a lot of these venues. Second, if he's coming to your town, call your radio stations, call the promoter and tell them to drop him. If he does do a concert, show up and protest. If you have people who, if you're at a party, if you're somewhere, like you said, go to the DJ and tell them to turn him off. I mean, the idea is we have to make him the public pariah that he is. And unfortunately, since our judicial system is not going to really do anything, it is now 
up to us to begin to turn, turn the tide. And I really want to be super clear about the campaign is that 30 years, there's never been any type of a large-scale hit on his career. And if we can do this in 10 months, imagine what we can do in two or three more years. So what I would say is you might not like R. Kelly. If he comes on, well, now he's back on Spotify, I guess. Thumb him down. Hit the thumbs down button. That stops the algorithm from playing him better than their policy, clearly. Shame your friends. That too. Shame your coworkers. Get to Spotify. You know, what Spotify did, what they barely did, it was such a half step, and then they pulled back from that. His music should be off. You know, force Spotify to do to R. Kelly what ABC did to Roseanne Barr. Disappear him. You know, the courts will catch up with him, hopefully, eventually. But in the meantime, mute, mute R. Kelly. I mean, the other thing I'd say just is um, I covered uh, uh, the last tour that Bill Cosby did. I covered two dates. And, you know, one thing we have to remember is uh, it doesn't, I mean, people can actually kill people and their fans would still go see them, like a certain segment of them. So like Bill Cosby, I was startled when I started to see those shows. And, you know, he wouldn't sell out two 2,500-seat shows in one night in Denver, but he'd, like, have, like, 1,500 people at one. And I thought that was startling, but we shouldn't judge whether it's successful or a failure based on whether there are still fans out there. I, there's a part of me that just thinks that I would be startled if another record of his came out on Sony. I don't know what's going on there, but it seems strange to me that they've said nothing, but also it's been some time, and it just, I would be surprised, you know? I mean, I was also... In the middle, right after being indicted, Sony Rush released a single by him saying, Heaven, I need a hug. Ain't you got no love for a rock and roll, R&B thug? I mean, they never backed away, and they won't now. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as convinced as you. I think that there has been a shift in how our culture deals with people. If, if Trapped in the Closet comes out, like Trapped in the Closet Part 3 comes out tomorrow, exactly. that, that's the test. Put something out that people really want to hear. If people want to hear R. Kelly Christmas album, I'm guessing no. But if you put out something that people really like and they go, wow, that's a good song and a good summer jam, yeah, maybe. But Renee, I think what's going to happen, I think, Jim will tell me I'm wrong, is I, I know he will put out music. I don't know who will put it out for him or if he'll do it himself, but I know he'll put out music and I know people will pay for that music and it will, it will be very disturbing. But I don't know if a corporation at this point, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 well, one of the things I can tell you that happened after we started last summer is that uh, Live Nation is no longer on the record promoting him. Now, I know he doesn't have a big tour going on, but now he's sort of popping around the country with these local kind of bootleg promoters and in some cases performing in strip clubs. And well, let, let's not, let's not forget, writes, you have, I mean, it's easy for us to say that nothing's happened, but the reality is quite a bit has happened. But perhaps but perhaps it's because I'm a black woman, optimism is not my default position. Bingo. So I'm not, I mean, yes, he's not, he doesn't have number one albums. He's not selling out massive arenas. But I'm not convinced that he won't get to that point again. Well, and, Unless and, 
you know, something legal comes up. And, and even, even we're yes. forgetting again. Right now, you know, those women who I did not name at first, because, because not to invade their privacy, but now they have come public, their families. Joy Savage, you know, was 19 when she started. She's 21 now. Azrael Clary was 17 when she started, and she is uh, 20 now. And Dominique Gardner has been there for years. Where are they today? According to their parents who spoke to you and me on the record and named names, they are brainwashed, they are victims of a sex cult, they are told when to eat, when to sleep, how to dress, who they can talk to. They cannot talk to any other man but him. They must turn and face the wall when any man walks in the room, his friends. And they are told how to pleasure him in encounters he records. And he hits them and physically and mentally abuses them, allegedly, if they break those rules. That's now. That's today. Look, seriously, I mean, this is a very uh, disturbing uh, story that continues. And, I mean, I, I know you're going to keep reporting on it. I, I intend to as well. And, and uh, I think we all think it's, um, it's important to just stay focused on it and, um, you know, not, not lose that. Uh, we're really appreciative you all came out tonight. Um, it, it means a lot. And we hope that this was uh, not enjoyable but informative and helpful, and uh, I couldn't be more, you know, happier about the people who shared the stage with me. So, thank you. I also want to thank a few, wait, I have a list, sorry. Um, we'll laugh Boston, right, yeah. Um, our, our events team, Amy McDonald and Candace Springer, our, our marketing director, Kristen Holgerson, our technical director, the guy there, John Parati. Um, technical director. Um, our executive producers, Jess Albert, Iris Adler, and Jessica Stahl. Uh, WBUR and the Washington Post. And of course, I already said this, but all of you, thank you so much for coming out. Edge of Fame is a production of the Washington Post and WBUR Boston, Boston's NPR station. This episode was produced by Jessica Albert and edited by Catherine Brewer and Jessica Albert. Sound designed by John Parati and Paul Vikas. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert, Jessica Stahl, and me. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Edge of Fame, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Edgers Podcast. If you do the Twitter thing, you can find me at Jeff Edgers. That's Jeff spelled G-E-O-F-F. -F.